All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. I'm Jack. And this week we are reviewing the 1987 film The Light Horseman, starring Jack's favorite animal of all time, horses. Little correction for the audiences. Horses aren't my favorite animal of all time. That title goes to res dogs. <clears throat> but there but horses are up there. Man, yeah, res dogs aren't just strays. They're an entire breed all of themselves, man. Oh, I'm well aware. I uh drove through the Navajo reservation summer of last year, and they are they are an interesting breed of dog. Mm-hmm. They just do not care. No, they they're but anyway, horses are pretty decent too, I guess. Right. So as some of you might have noticed, uh I'm not talking to the Battlefield and Bourbon podcasts. Uh they also had a scheduling conflict come up, so uh this episode is time just in time for the return of Jack from his lovely vacation. How is uh, Greece? Life changing. I've had that's all I tell people when they ask is life changing. Don't get me started because I'll never stop. This is my first experience traveling, tra- traveling, traveling international, and I'm glad it could have been Greece. The people there were amazing. The food, oh my god, so many euros. I do love me a good euro, or as my as my well traveled father would say hero hero he really puts an emphasis on it just uh like jalapenos he's like jalapenos like like he's like trying to force it out <laughs> but i digress 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 so uh as we always like to uh What'd you think of the film? So I don't know if it was because it was 51 degrees in my house or I haven't been having a great week, but I had trouble focusing on this film. You're, you're not the only one. I had a hard time staying focused on this film too. I've, I had to restart it a couple of times cause I found myself scrolling my phone and then i'd look up and be like oh fuck how much of this did i miss like because <laughs> this is a film that if you look away from it you're you're not going to know what the fuck's going on aside from maybe taz and scotty i can't remember a character's name in this film i still can't remember a character's name i just know nurse lady and mm. that one dude <laughs> which one dude <laughs> you know which one I will say shorter new guy Hampton. I think his name was, I found, I found the major character to be kind of interesting. How so the intelligence officer. Oh yeah. That guy. So obviously this is jumping to like the middle of the film, but we have a character who is brought into a light horseman. Uh, He's just kind of found out in the desert. And basically his story is, yeah, I got separated from my group and I lost all my shit. Um, and uh, they basically just roll him in and take his word that he is who he says he is. And 
he actually does play the role of an intelligence officer because his big moment or scene in this film is riding out into the desert with one other soldier and basically he's there to plant fake documents in order for the enemy to think that the attack that's about to come is not actually the main attack and it's all tricky and chicanerous if you will <laughs> um, that's the vocab word of the week is chicanery chicanery i learned that from better call saul <laughs> um but i love his excuse to this soldier like the dude is just an enlisted guy and he's like major what are we doing out here we're like in the middle of enemy territory it's like oh it's we fine. haven't studied we haven't studied migratory birds yet in this area and it's like really that's your that's your fucking excuse you couldn't just be like i'm doing something shut the fuck up and follow orders like well i think the reasoning for that was on the chance they were captured his fucking friend doesn't blabber because the less the less your compatriots know about your plan, probably the best. Less chance of being found out. And hell, love, it worked. I yeah, I suppose so. I love the fact that at the end of the film, when they're doing the like what happened to them after the war slide, <laughs> it it pans to that major, and it's like he becomes a bird expert after the war. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like I'm so glad that we delved into uh, the field of ornitho ornithology. Or in thought, whatever. The study of birds in a world bird of one science. Film, but, you know, I got the bird study merit badge in the Boy Scouts. Cool. How many birds yeah. did you see? Not enough. <laughs> that was one of those. Brain. That was one of those bullshit merit badges. I don't even remember what the requirements for that merit badge was, but I remember it being very easy. Oh, so you're a fan of birds, right? Name three of their albums. <laughs> well, everybody's heard about the bird. God damn it. Oh, man. Um, but, and you mentioned at the end, it, go, it, go, it gives a where are they now kind of thing. And then it says, oh, the people that Hampton and the nurse were based on got married. And so they, so. A, they didn't exist, and B, the actual people that they were kind of based off of that did exist, they don't even get names. It's a based on, or it's an inspired by, not a based uh, on. Yes, tricky. Tricky, tricky. More wording. chicanery. More, More chicanery. chicanery. More chicanery, indeed. More the fool was I. Mm hmm. Sherrod, you are man i will say i get the point of injecting this pseudo love story into this film but i mean in this film they never really progress any further than just like simple flirting you know yeah the romance was not very well handled it was just like I, hey you, you want to go out okay i except for that one scene where you you kind of like you feel for the the main character when that one creepy officer comes up to her and is like just like 
he seems like the kind of guy that like smells people's feet. That's his yep. thing. Sniffing hair sniffer. It was a wonderful delight to meet you. Ugh, get the fuck he, away from me. And then he has her write that incredibly intimate and impassioned letter. And I, I, I didn't realize that that was for counterintelligence. I thought he was just getting his sick kicks for a while. Right. But no, it was for the good of the Empire. Oh, yes. Watch, watch, Cheerio. King and country. Yep. All that. Oh, I will say um, I'm a little sick of our recent film choices making me look like a creepy person to my wife. Um, <laughs> oh, right. It's the films. Yeah. So again, if if any of you might recall our Devil's Double episode, my wife walked into our living room as I was watching the Abu Ghraib torture scene from that film and her immediate question was what the fuck are you watching John uh, I had another one of those moments in this film where she happened to walk in on me watching this film in the living room uh, and it is all of our primary characters just butt ass naked riding <laughs> horses on the beach just dicks a swing in everywhere and she's like, what the fuck are you watching? I'm like, I, it's a war. I, I promise. It's a it's war broke movie, broadcast. honey. I swear. <laughs> Brokeback Mountain part two. I, God, yeah. The, a prequel. It's right. The riding horses naked thing. I would never do that. It seems it like seems a good painful. way to, to, yeah, I was going to say that seems like a good way to like accidentally sit on your testicles. Yeah. Matt, scramble your eggs. I don't know how this got past the most pic motion picture association with all the swinging dicks that were in it. Man. Maybe they just edit out that one scene. Or that scene. Also that scene where they ban shorts on the real R&R place and they just walk around with just their shirts on, just Winnie the Pooh style. What? You said no shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what monster would do that. Ban shorts on an R and R beach. I don't know. Have you seen? Uh, there was a news story that came out a while ago about there's this criminal running around. I th I want to say Chicago or somewhere in Illinois, somewhere in the Midwest, but I think it was Chicago. But uh, what they were doing was going to these parks and these public beaches. And they were putting up signs that said nude beach and they put like the official like city logo on the signs. Like it looked a hundred percent real. And uh, the city had to like come out with an ad campaign basically saying, no, this isn't real. You can't just let your dick flop around at the beach. And I, <laughs> I just, I got a great kick out of that. Cause I was like, of all the, all like, I don't know if that's necessarily harmless or not, but I, it gave me a good little little kick. Some chicanery, would you say? Ah, yes, chicanery. Buffoonery. Or my favorite, tomfoolery. Plus, you know there's like there's a couple of perverts out, that, out there that were taking advantage of that. Like, what? There's a sign. <laughs> <laughs> you know damn well what you did. 
Ugh. So, I think this is our first World War One film. First World War One film dealing with Commonwealth soldiers, right? I believe so. I don't think our, there were. I don't think we there did were German. We. No, the Somme had British soldiers, so. But I mean, these were Anzac troops, that's, so that's what I was talking still about. a first for us. That's what I was yeah. talking about. I thought that's what you meant is Anzac, and I was trying to remember if there were any Anzac at the Somme, but I don't, don't I, think so. I, I don't think there were Anzac at the Somme. I think Anzac was mostly the Middle East, but I may be incorrect about that. <laughs> but I did enjoy our diversion into this theater of the war, just because I think, generally speaking, mm. Uh, mm. the Middle East is an underportrayed aspect of World War One. Yep. I mean, we have there are some great films about it, like we have Gallipoli, uh, we have Lawrence of Arabia, all that. But I mean, when it comes to World War One, the focus is most definitely focused on the uh you know trenches of france you know yeah the western front but i i really enjoyed uh this diversion into the middle east especially like um i don't know about you but when i saw the opening scene from this well can't remember if it was actually the opening scene uh, the first battle scene in this movie reminded me so much of Battlefield 1, especially the, like, Suez map. I played a bit of it. I, I, okay, I've played Battlefield 1. I just never de I just never got much into multiplayer. I'm not really a multiplayer guy. Well, that's fair. I remember me and Mitch went hardcore on battlefield one multiplayer for a little bit um but the opening the opening battle scene from this movie was like i thought it was so fucking cool because you had like you had the cavalry guys line up on the ridge to do their little charge and they're supported by the like early tanks and there's like four or five of them in the scene and you're like fuck yeah this is going to be an awesome moment and then it just like cuts away and you don't see the tanks ever again you don't see them actually fight or anything like that i'm like man what a cock tease like <laughs> yeah they really they really pulled the rug out from under us on that one didn't they yeah as soon as i saw the mark four tanks like show up and like i i kid you not the the scene looked like it looked like it was from Battlefield 1. I was just waiting for like Seven Nation Army to start playing <laughs> in the background. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be an awesome dun, movie. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> then it turns into an hour of bullshit that I don't care about. I mean, the horsemen are pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. It's just... Yeah. They are. It's just there's not enough... There's not enough action or like interest in between the opening battle scene and the end battle scene. It's just like a couple of minor, you know, scuffles, if you will. 
scuffles. Yeah. I'd have to say, um, since I know you were going to ask this next, my favorite scene was when main character and his command, commander, sergeant, colonel, whatever, lead military guy were just out in the boonies for some sergeant reason. Sergeant Major Colonel. Sergeant Major Colonel General, Brigadier General were out in the middle of the boonies for whatever reason. And then they see a... Um, what appears to be a British officer come with a bunch of Palestinians and the Palestinians peel off and the commander car is coming towards them. He's like, Oh, this, this doesn't look right. Just, just chill back here and keep the gun on him. Shoot him. If he makes any sudden movements and he goes up to meet the dude and it's very tense. Like, Hey, what you doing out here? Where'd you come from? Huh? Are you really British? Right. And then he makes a sudden move and he doesn't get shot. Yeah, he's he's lucky the main character doesn't have the nerve didn't have the nerves for it. Also, how many times do we need a close up on our main character not shooting somebody? All the time. Cuz it All happens like at least 3 times in this film. So many times. Like if you, if you can't shoot it, fine. It's just I really thought there was going to be that, um, albeit a bit cliched, but that scene in almost every war movie or show, or I guess any media, where the soldier gets his first kill and he's like, oh my god, I killed a man. And I was really waiting for that to happen and it just didn't. So consider my expectations subverted. I mean, to be fair, this movie engages in like every other trope that there can be. Like the nurse romance being one of the most yeah the ones. the nurse romance that isn't really like it serves nothing to the plot. There's the like new guy getting razzed by the grizzled veterans trope. Mm-hmm. There's the like guys going into a bar specifically to start a fight because oh they got a different patch on their shoulder, <laughs> like that kind of bullshit. Yeah, um, macho hell, macho shit. The guy, the guy who freezes in combat, you know. So the fact that they didn't engage in that one is actually even more shocking. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other cliches. Yeah, the man, the classic war movie thing of stripping naked and dry or riding your horse around a beach in a very homoerotically charged scene. I know. It's like in every single war film ever. Yeah. I suddenly want to join the army. <laughs> but what that should have been favorite? on the recruit that should have been on the recruiting posters for the light horsemen. Like, instead of the guy, like, hopping on the train being like, where are these horses going? How do I join? It's just a poster, <laughs> just a poster of a naked guy on a horse. I bet, Come I think, travel the world with your best pal. I think it would have been funnier if he jumped on the train to ask that question. I don't know, his button got stuck on the train and they just, like, took him with and that's how he got recruited. But anyway, what was your favorite part of the movie? I gave you mine. 
So my favorite part of this movie, it has to be the end battle scene, just because, um, you know, it's it's the moment we're waiting for the entire time. It's the reason we're watching this movie, and it's genuinely the most interesting thing that happens in the entire thing. It's so it's the one time in the film that I'm not like scrolling my phone, like seeing. I I can't remember, but it looked like they had like a hundred plus horses take part in the filming of this. I I know it was much higher than that in the actual charge, but having that many horses actually do a charge, uh, and the effects that they had for like artillery fire was great. I love the fact that they had you know an airplane with pilots like hand dropping bombs on the cavalry guys. Um, the the super badass moment when you know they're not the the light horsemen are not traditional cavalry troops they're mounted infantry more or less which means like their standard battle tactic is to ride their horse to wherever it is they're supposed to be doing their stuff and then they dismount and form like a skirmish line and start fighting. Like they're not really meant to be fighting from horseback. So when we see them like mid charge, whip out their bayonets because they don't have anything else. They don't have any swords or sabers or anything like that. Just, just they're like foot long bayonets. And they're like, ah, I'm like, man, that's fucking hardcore. That was pretty hardcore. And I like the establishing shots of the um, Turks frank, uh, frantically trying to readjust the artillery and di- try to dial in their sights. But the mounted cavalry is just showing, going so goddamn fast that they can't keep up. Right. There was one moment that kind of bothered me or I, it it just knocked me out of the moment because you have this badass like it's it's like the charge scene from the last samurai you're like you're feeling pumped up and inspired you're like fuck yeah cavalry and um there comes a moment where they like hit the trenches and they start engaging in like (laughs) hand-to-hand fighting and this one dude who has jumped off of his horse has uh his bayonet in his hand and he's just like like overhand chops into the helmet of an ottoman and it's not exactly but it sounds really close to just like an adam west batman like bonk like (laughs) (laughs) you fiends and i was just after that i was like okay when do i start getting the uh the like on-screen cue cards where it says pow kablam (laughs) <laughs> I was like, it just takes one second to ruin an entire scene, and that was the one. You know, I didn't catch that, but now if I ever watch this again, I probably wouldn't be able to unnotice it. <laughs> just, just go back to that one scene and see if you can find it. It's just spectacular. I will say, though, it was nice seeing like period appropriate like bayonet fighting and drills that's not something you see very often 
Like usually in war films, it's always he's like, "Yeah, I'm a super soldier." Versus like, like you see guys doing these like very over dramatic swings, and it's like, yeah, that's. I mean, that looks like something a person from that era would do. I was disappointed by the fact that there wasn't like like an end boss fight with that one German that was trying to blow up the wells. Yeah. <laughs> like you just keep flipping back to him, just like flipping the switch up and down. Like, why isn't it blowing up? And you just expect like our main hero to like bust through the door and then they get into like a Indiana Jones fist fight and it never happens. You're too late protagonist. <laughs> I have blown up the wheels. <laughs> Curse you, you evil eye patch. Doctor. Curse you, evil doctor Nefario. <laughs> also, can I say a military operation that has its success hinge on whether or not the enemy blows up the only water supply in a town seems like a really shitty objective. Like... Man, I was feeling bad for those horses that hadn't had a drink in like two days. I I did appreciate the one scene where you see one of the light horsemen. He takes his hat off and he like, I don't know why he punches it in. Like he could have just like, like the hat is already a bowl. He didn't need to create a, like punch his hat in to create a bowl. That seemed unnecessary, but he uses his hat to. Yeah. Or his horse. And I was like, bigger oh, bowl. Cool. Like, <laughs> I just, hat logic doesn't exist. Why are we tipping one side up, guys? That's not cool. Actually, it is pretty cool. I love the exposition at the beginning of this film with the one German officer that's like, those aren't any cavalry troops. Those are the light horsemen. You can tell by the feathers in their hats. And it's like, really? Like, <laughs> was this the thing we needed to know? I mean, yeah, I guess. To, to educate us stupid viewers about Australian light horsemen. I will say, even though, like, I'll come out. I, I, I didn't enjoy this film but it was interesting enough that it makes me want to watch other films about this particular uh part of the war like it makes me want to go watch lords of arabia or it makes me want to watch gallipoli because it's like okay what if we take the subject matter and we do it in a better format like am i going to be way more into this yeah but you know, I was reading um, some articles about this film, and like, even though to us it's not that great of a film, or I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but um, this came out in the same time period as Gallipoli, and it also came out at the same time as a film called Breaker Morant, and it was like it was like this decade where you had a couple of Australia fuck yeah films. <laughs> and you never really knew that you needed that genre of film but i'm glad that it exists now because it oh, paved yeah. the way for for uh 
Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Surely the greatest Australian cultural export. Well, that is Steve Irwin. Right. Did you think they were the same person? No. Okay. I mean, a man can dream. That'd be just too Australian for me. Um, but I didn't realize that, you know, obviously Australia and New Zealand were products of uh, British colonialism. Uh, but I didn't realize that World War One played a huge part in both of those countries kind of creating their own national identity outside of Great Britain. Um, that like that the actions of the Anzac troops and how they get remembered after the war actually played a huge part of like Australians thinking of themselves as Australians and not like British people, same way like New Zealanders see themselves as New Zealanders and not like, ah, oh, yes, I belong to the queen. What, what? Mm-hmm. Not to mention, like, not to say the British haven't produced impressive war stories, but the, like the Aussies and the New Zealand guys always seem to have way cooler war stories. I oh, know there's some cool British ones that I can't think of. <laughs> no, they're they're there, like uh, like like my girlfriend from uh, from camp. I told you she's real. She just goes to a different school. Fuck you. She goes to Canada. She speaks French. Yeah, they don't have internet up there. <laughs> Say Napoleon Dynamite's a war movie, right? In what world is Napoleon Dynamite a war movie? He kills like 50 Wolverines, doesn't he? <laughs> it's a war against society's norms. That I suppose it is just like Legally Blonde is war against the patriarchy. Yes. And might okay. I remind you of the war on crime? Ever heard of it, DP? I have. It's currently ongoing. War on drugs. I gotta say, the war on drugs started uh, taking an interesting turn when the uh, drug runners started using submarines. Yep. Didn't see that coming. Literally, they were under the water. Yeah, I thought the whole thing was going to go under. <laughs> <laughs> like the land down under. Where women go and men chunder. <laughs> uh, speaking of the land down under, did the something that really kept pulling me out of this film was the actual like physical appearance of our actors like why were there so many people with like piercing blue eyes because australia i like there was a moment i was like what the fuck am i watching dune like it was <laughs> it was it was disturbing how blue some of these eyes were 
the light horseman of Arrakis. <laughs> just man, imagine the light horseman charge, but in the middle of it, there's just a giant worm that like comes out and like attacks them. <laughs> May his passing cleanse the world. <laughs> Oh, so what are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking a nice bottle of Mickey's fine malt liquor. There's a puzzle on the inside of every cap. What are you drinking? I, I can't tell. I don't know if this is like actually like truly Australian or not, but I'm drinking a can of Foster's, which has a kangaroo on it. Oh, that's Australian. I just don't know if Australians actually drink it or if it's like a tourist Australian thing. I'm pretty sure it's a tourist Australian. Oh, fuck. Tourist Australian thing. Well, it's, it's the only thing I had available to me that was even remotely Australian. So Foster's it was. Close enough. And I'm sure what they I have... I'm sure they have Mickey's in Australia. What I will say is this can is so like this thing is so fucking big. Like I have, like I'm wrapping both of my hands around it. Like it's a fucking sippy cup. <laughs> you just don't have those it's, big Australian meat paws. I don't, I'm not Andre the giant here, but is this like a standard fucking size for you Australians? Let's see what, the fuck does it say here? 25, 750 milliliters. I'm drinking it like a bottle of whiskey's worth of beer here. <laughs> I suppose like if I lived in Australia, I probably would have to drink that heavily too, but. What do you I'm think? not talking of... sh I'm not talking shit on the country. I'm just saying a country with giant ass spiders and multiple spiders. Like, venomous, like the numerous things that want to kill you. Like, <clears throat> oh, I know what you meant. Seems like a lot of stress living in Australia. Oh, yes. Yeah, unnecessary stress, but killer still animals, wanna... dingoes still... eating your babies. Still want to visit there someday. Oh, same. There's actually um, probably one of the best uh, tank museums is in Australia. Really? Um, yeah, I, I follow their YouTube channel. They do a stellar job. I'll send you some of the videos and I'll I'll post it to our our Facebook page. But the this museum has one of the largest collections of tanks in the world. And like a majority of them are operational. Like they actually really? work and are drivable. Yeah. And uh, like every week they do uh, it's called workshop Wednesday. And they're like, this is what we worked on today. And it shows you as they're restoring all these different vehicles. It's, it's really interesting stuff. <laughs> cool. I used to, uh, <laughs> I I found them because they would release it would be like daytime for them obviously but their release schedule uh the videos would come out at like 2 or 3 in the morning here 
and when i was on graves i was like "Ooh, new videos coming out in like 20 minutes <laughs> oh man i love it when you feel excitement towards uploads like that yeah it's also you know when you're working grave shift and it's 4 a.m you're like fuck i have two hours left and nothing to do like makes the time pass by easier hmm. but do you have any further thoughts on this film i'm trying to think no eh, no not really i i really wish i could talk more about this film but it's genuinely aside from the opening and ending battle sequence i don't know how you feel about this like everything in the middle just it doesn't matter it feels it very like this this film is a very forgettable film and all the characters are forgettable sadly like, yes i can't, I can't such, tell you the name of any of the characters honestly it's such a cool concept that i'm set that deserved a better movie it does it it makes me hopeful, you know, with like 1917 and the All Quiet on the Western Front remake with this kind of resurgence in uh, Hollywood or the popularity of World War One in Hollywood. I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that something like this or another like Gallipoli type film comes out in the near future because I I would love to see this particular topic redone. Mm -hmm. And especially it's, I think it would even be a timely film now, given, you know, the stuff that is currently going on with, you know, Jerusalem and Palestine, because this film is based on a battle that basically led to, um, you know, the British power seizing Jerusalem. And I mean, a lot a lot of the problems today faced in the Middle East can draw its lineage or its history back to the Ottoman Empire falling. So there's definitely a way to do these older World War One films about the Middle East relevant to today's audience where they're still engaged in involved in it. Yeah, I'm just surprised that we made it this long without mentioning that whole thing going on right now. Right. What we really need to be talking about is the war film that truly needs to be made that also involves Australians is the uh, Great mm. Emu War. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't know. We're a bunch of Australian soldiers try to eradicate a herd of emus and are very unsuccessful <laughs> straight out of looney tunes that makes me wonder emu war movie there there's a teaser trait emu war official trailer 2023 There's a short film. Okay. Uh, for our fans at home, we will... 
we will look into this because this seems like something that, <laughs> that right up our alley. No fucking way. Oh my fucking god. Monty Python legend John Cleese is heading the project on the Emu War. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> okay. We're we're gonna have to keep our eyes for out for this. But I think it's about that time to rate this film. All Jack, righty. what do you think our 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 rating ought to be? Hmm. I don't know, horsies. Horsies. I like horsies. Okay. One to five horsies. Two out of five horsies. I may be generous and say I may be generous and say two horsies and one that's about to be put down. But I don't know. It just it just wasn't that compelling of a movie up until like except for maybe the first part of it and then the last part of it. Just like you said, the in, the middle of it didn't need to happen. Or it, it did need to happen, just not that way. It just yeah, killed a lot of interest. Yeah, I, years. I I was hoping for more out of this film. Same there. There was some cool things in it, but not enough to really redeem it. I think I'm going to give this film one horsey and... You know what? No, two horsies, but the second horsey still has a bareback like nutsack imprint on it. <laughs> okay. So like two and one tenth of a horsey. <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, the tomometer gives this a seventy-one percent, and the audience gives wow. this an eighty-two percent. Fucking bullshit! Sorry, Australian listeners, this movie's terrible. Which I found a- out when I actually found out last time I was checking our metrics. We do have a couple of listeners in Australia, amazingly. So can't wait to lose you guys after this episode. Yeah, we really screwed the pooch on this one. I'm but, sure you have a beautiful country and rich culture. This movie just wasn't compelling. It wasn't. It was terrible. We'll try again with Gallipoli or something. Yeah. But... uh Thing is about that time that we choose our next film and uh oh wait it's my turn again because you know what happened jack while you're on vacation what air force beat navy suck it loser fuck you <clears throat> not not only did they beat navy but air force set a institution record where they had a 94 yard touchdown <laughs> jesus come on navy where is your defense? It's at home. It's absolutely unforgivable. So, per our uh, bet, I get to choose three films. This was my first one of our choices. I'm sorry about this first one. Uh, but next film, we are 
going to toe the line on what a war movie is and we're going to do the war on crime as jack alluded to earlier oh and we're going to watch 2012's dread Ooh, that's a good one i am the law i am the law so yes tune in next week for comic book turned movie dread and I, I've seen this film many a times. I'm a big fan of it, so I, I think we'll we'll have more to speak on this particular subject. Yep, a lot to work with. Well, do you have anything else? I have nothing. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this show, or if you enjoyed our other shows and not this one, go ahead and leave a review. The stars do matter. Uh, if you want additional content from us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Armchair Commanders Podcast. We also have a Discord and YouTube channel. Discord, same name as our podcast. YouTube channel is under History Apprentice. Uh, go ahead and uh, join that group and or follow our YouTube page. The YouTube page has additional little history tidbits that I do on the side. It's kind of a catch-all thing for myself. Um, until next time, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we'll see you next week. Bye.